welcome to the American Council of Christian Churches podcast. Since 1941, Bible-believing churches holding to the great fundamental truths of the Word of God as held by the historic Christian Church have worked through the ACCC to earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Today's podcast is a message given by Dr. Peter Yeomans at the ACCC's 2023 Annual Convention at Faith Baptist Church in Kittery, Maine. Dr. Yeomans is the pastor of Davidson Baptist Church in Hazard, Kentucky, and the current president of the Appalachian Independent Ministers Fellowship. This message was given Tuesday morning, October 25, and is titled, Called Unto Holiness. I want to thank the ACCC. Uh, last year I was not as good a shape as I am today. Uh, the flood was very fresh, things were not finished, and yet uh, even before that, even before we came to Carlisle, uh, many of you had been in a number of ways a help and a blessing to me personally. And uh, you, don't, you don't forget those kind of things, you really don't, and I appreciate that. God's been good. Uh, we still have a new building that we're going to have to replace, uh, but our church is back to, to actually better than what it was before. And uh, we have an area where our kids can have youth center, and God show, has showed his faithfulness. Uh, not just in that, but bringing people to the church that I think were, have been drawn by the, by the faithfulness of God. And people hear about what he's done, and I'm so thankful for that. But I want to thank this this group of people because uh, you have been an incre incredible encouragement to me, and I just want to thank you for that um, at this time. If you would, take your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Peter while you're turning there to chapter 1. Um, you know, I, I was a ch child of the 60s and 70s, good, bad, or otherwise, you know, you know, the hippies and all that, and I still remember the first time I went into somebody's house and I smelled something that was uh, strange. And no, no, it's not what you thought. I think, and that's, uh, I looked around and found out that they were had incense, you know, little bit things smoking here and there. Now we've advanced nowadays. We call it air fresheners, but I'm here to tell you, I like it. Go into our, our house, and I like lavender, and I smell that, and it just I, I recognize I'm home. But this idea of incense is something that is ancient. It's not something new. And in fact, in the Bible, there's a passage that helped me when I was much younger understand a little bit about the holiness of God. In the book of Exodus, is Moses is given the instructions on various aspects of the tabernacle and how they were to build and what they were to do. Uh, several of the things are called holy, including like the sin offering and, and the building and the priests. But you come to a point and he talks, talks about the incense that which was going to be put on the altar of incense. And rather than saying to Moses, I've got this secret formula. I can't tell you what it is. Uh, but, you know, you're, only you and I are going to know it. He lays it out in the word of God. You and I could make it today. It is clearly taught in the word of God how they were to make this incense. But then he stops. And three times in that passage, he says that it's holy. And twice in that passage of scripture, he's, he says this that it shall be unto thee, unto thee, unto the people, holy to the Lord. Now, what did that mean? Well, he expands and he says, listen, 
Uh, now, this is the yeoman's translation. Understand. He says, the ladies and the guys are going to the tabernacle, and they say, what's that aroma? It's amazing. And they say, you know what? We're going to make some of that for our house so it smells nice. God says, uh-uh. He says, this is holy for me. When you smell that, you know that you're in the presence of God. This is considered holy, and it's to be holy in your sight. He says, and if you don't do that, if you make it, you're to be cut off, executed. Now, that seems a little rash, but God takes holiness very seriously. And he takes it so seriously that a simple thing like a smell he says, belongs to him and not to you and I. And so as you come to the word of God and you come to the book of 1 Peter, we find that we are to be holy. And we're going to talk today uh, and look at a few passages of scripture. But we need to understand that God has declared himself holy. And Brother Smith clearly laid that out yesterday. And toward the end, he dealt with and uh, talked about the idea that we're to be holy. Now, if the church is to be holy, here's the question. How does that happen? This building is not holy. It's a building. The, building is, uh, the church is only holy when its leadership and its members are holy. That's what defines a place being holy. And that's the reason why we have so many problems in America today, is that we, rather than have holy convocations, holy times, holy people, holy leaders... We have uh, opportunities for entertainment, and we have opportunities for people to enjoy. I, I, I recently had a church nearby, and they said, man, they had a great show this week. And that, that just burdened my heart, but I also knew that it was accurate. The problem is, is that you and I need to understand that God has called us to holiness, but the calling to holiness will only re be Realize when we understand, and first and foremost, the holiness of God. So today I want to talk to you about our call to holiness and talk about the fact that it's a very personal thing that God has called you and I to. And the danger is, is for even in a, an association like this, we come together, we deride unholiness as we should. But if we're not careful, we'll forget that that doesn't necessarily make us holy because we deride other people's unholiness. Holiness is a very personal thing. And so I want to read from 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, starting in verse number 13. Um, out of respect to God's word, would you stand? No other reason that you've sat, had to sit for a while, so I'll just stand. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is brought unto you by, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be holy in all matter of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you today recognizing our unholiness. Lord, sometimes we forget the fact that the only reason we have this right to come to you is not because we're part of a church or graduated from college or 
anything else, but it's only because of Jesus Christ and his righteousness, his holiness, which has been given to us, imputed to us. And so we come with, with authority, but not of our own. And we ask that you minister to our hearts. Oh God, please help us not just to have information today, but transformation through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Like the various passages that we're going to look at today, and we're not going to be able to do justice to, as far as exegeting it, but we're wanting to look at uh, the, the passages that were mentioned and talk about the calling of holiness. Like all passages, this one has context. Earlier in this passage, chapter, verse 2, it said, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit. Now, that, we sometimes read through that. But as you know, that's just a cognate word of holiness. He has declared that we have been sanctified. But in this passage, we can't forget the fact that he is laid on out in the middle of this. Up until the passage that I just read in verse 13, there are no commands. He has declared and given us information as to what we are, even in the middle of persecution, that we have been given amazing, an amazing inheritance, but not all that. We've been given an amazing promise. And that we, uh, it's such an amazing promise. And I love this. One of those verses that just, um, every time I read it it, 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 it just humbles me to think that angels want to look into what we have. And we just, uh, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. Now I get to live what I like I want to. And the angels understand God's holiness. And in some way, they seek to look into what you and I have. Now, out of all that, he says, wherefore? In other words, I've told you all this. Now, let me tell you what this means. And he gives a command. And, of course, it's going to be that we are to holy, be holy. We need to understand the rest of the book of 1 Peter all rides on this first commandment. Everything else flows out of this. Because of this, we're supposed to respond in certain ways when we are facing temptations. And we're supposed to minister to one another. And all the different commands that he's going to give is based on this one incredible truth that you and I are supposed to be holy. I find it interesting. And, and, and please bear with me for a second. Our holiness is not just based on understanding or reading the Bible. Please, just wait a second. I'm not a heretic, but specifically, it's our understanding of what the Bible says about God. Because as our brother mentioned, if we just want to cherry pick verses, we can make the Bible say anything. But when we come to the face of God, I'm here to tell you something that changes us, or it ought to. I, I love and we, the verse we all know from Isaiah chapter 6. But have you noticed that in the chapters before that? especially verse, chapters 3 and 5, eight times in those two chapters, he says to certain countries, whoa, whoa, he's bringing condemnation upon them. Eight times. And then he sees God. And then all of a sudden from going to woe to you, it's woe is me. Um, there's two aspects to the holiness of God. The first, of course, is the awesomeness. He saw that because of understanding how holy God was, he understood how unholy he was. Can I say something to you? 
we need to actually take a good look every once in a while. We have all been guilty, you know this, of magnifying our own holiness or forgetting our own unholiness. But when you get a good look at God, boy, that strips it all away. There's also another aspect. Uh, Brother Smith mentioned it in his message, the beauty of God's holiness. May I say to you, there's, there's something about God's holiness that for God's people should not just cause us to say, woe is me, but also be attracted to it. Isn't that what beauty does? It attracts you to something. It looks wonderful. And God's holiness is beautiful. Now, now here's the thing. He's given that to us through sanctification so that our holiness to other people can be a reproach at times, but also it should be something that draws them because they see in us the holiness of God. That's an amazing thought. And in this passage of Scripture, he starts on out by showing us, first of all, that we need to have the right perspective of holiness, and that's the viewing of God. He doesn't, he doesn't in this passage talk so much about our sanctification. He mentioned that in verse 2. But in this passage, he says, you be holy because that's what I am. I'm holy, and he expects that from you and I. Now, we all know this is in Leviticus, which was a passage that, of course, Levite, pertaining to the Levites, the priests. And you and I, of course, are God's priests on this earth. Shouldn't we be holy because he is holy? I like what it says there at the very beginning. He talks about girding up our minds. And in all these verses that we're going to look at, there's a contrast. Holiness compared to normally some aspect of lusts, uncleanness, or some aspect of that. And so he says, first of all, I want you to think. Gird up your minds. In other words, in the middle of your trials, and they were going through some fiery trials, he says, don't let that get your attention. Gird up your mind. Think about who you are and what I've done. But not only that, hope. In other words, keep your eyes to the end. I got saved uh, at a... uh, Revival of a very well-known, and I won't mention, very known revivalist that talked about uh, the coming of Jesus Christ. And it was always as if it was going to be like a few weeks away, specifically 1976. Um, he didn't name, date, date, name dates, but, you know, he got, came that close to the line. But you know what? I understand what he was doing, and I... But Jesus is coming back someday. Whether, the data setters will be wrong. Somebody's probably going to get it right someday, just out of the odds. But think with me. Jesus, just because they're picking dates and they're wrong, that doesn't mean that he's not going to come back. And we need to be having that as a focus of our hearts. I'm going to stand before him someday. Well, I have stood before him not just having his holiness upon me, but living out holiness in my life. He contrasts it by saying that we're supposed to be as obedient children, not fashioning ourselves according to the former lust. That word fashioning is an interesting term. It's only used one other time in the Bible, a verse you know very well. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, 
where it says, be not conformed to this world. Now, we all know there's three basic things that hurt our holiness, the world, the flesh, and the devil. I have very little power over the devil except for prayer. I have very little power over the world except by being the light to it. But my biggest problem most of the times is my flesh. Okay? I'm sorry, get me away, get the devil away, get me in a perfect monastery, and I'll still have sin issues. Huh? I had a, I had a dear friend, Mark knows him well. He's a, he was a blind uh, gentleman named Levi, good friend of mine, uh, very good friend of Mark's. And we'd go to fellowships, and, and one day I just wanted to ask him a question, uh, one that I could ask to a, a man. And I says, Levi, you've been blind since you're a young man. I says, do you ever have a problem with lust? He goes, oh, yeah. I go, that just blew my mind. How can a, but see, you take away the eyes, you still have a problem, don't you? Because the problem isn't the eyes, it's the heart, it's the flesh, and it's tearing us apart. And God says, listen, don't let your lifestyle be based, don't let it be molded by your passions. That's our problem in America today. That's our problem in the world, that's our problem in colleges. But I have no control of that. The problem is, is that's our problem in the church. And that's the problem in my life. And in yours. I want to determine how holy I'm going to be. And so do you. And part of that is I look around and I say, well, I'm much holier than... You just look. You can find somebody that you're holier than, or at least you think you are. The problem is, is God did not say, Pete... Improve your measure of your own holiness. But he says, you be holy because that's what I am. And when I do that, that means that, let you in on a little secret, I'll never get to that point. So there's always going to be room for growth. As many of us have grown older, some of us are not growing older. We are old. <laughs> there's a great danger for us to forget that we're so called to holiness, sanctification, the progressive nature. What I was, what I'm going to be, I'm somewhere in the middle, but I better be going toward that maturity and perfection in Christ. And there's been times in my life that I've grown very content with what I am. Normally that's because I'm looking at others, but it's always because I'm not looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith. And so we see here, first of all, our perspective. We have been called to be holy by a holy God. Our second passage is from Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Once again, there's context. He's given us three chapters of what he's done. And earlier in this, he's told us that we are not to have be like this world. In Ephesians 4, having our understanding darkened. Well, that's the exact opposite of what he said in 1 Peter, where he said, gird up the loins of your mind. But as you come to uh, verse 22, uh, he talks about the idea that not only are we called to be holy by a holy God, but we're called to put on the holy man. See what it says there. It says, uh, verse 23. No, let's start with 22. 
that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt through deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Our brother Brad referred to that passage today. And, and the thing is, is there's, we know what this is talking about. You've preached it, many of you, many times. Uh, there's that concept that now that I've been saved, there's some things that just don't belong. And they've got to be taken off. I, I have a fairly good fashion sense. Uh, I, I mean, some of you may question that, but I do. I have fairly good, but there are times when I'm not sure. And you know what I do. I go, honey, does this go with this? Now, normally she says, yeah, it's fine. But when she gives you that look, you, know, you men know what I'm talking about. And you know, now you better be finding another tie, another shirt. You know, I had a, I had a friend in, uh, when I was growing up. His name was Luke Gaskin. He's still alive. I don't know if he was doing it purposely or not, but he had no faith. He'd have a, 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 like a mustard green and white checked jacket on with a red and white striped shirt with a polka dotted tie. I'm not just talking about once. I'm talking about every service. My, my, my sister became a ventriloquist, and she had a dummy, and it was as gaudy as that. She had to name it Luke. <laughs> the thing is, is they just don't fit. You and I have a fashion sense that knows when something fits and something doesn't. Spiritually, we should have a fashion sense if we've seen the face of God, if we've been spending time in his word. We should recognize when something just doesn't fit that is incongruous with his holiness. My problem is I kind of do this thing like sometimes my wife does. She kind of goes, yeah, it's okay. And that's what I do sometimes with sin and unholiness, don't I? Rather than saying, oh, it doesn't fit, I'm going to take it off. Why? Because it does not reflect the holiness of a God that I'm supposed to represent. You see, remember what it said in, in the Exodus, that we are to consider that holy. Well, then I should be considering this holy to God. And that means that sometimes I'm saying... I want my lusts. I want my way. I want my passions. And he says, no, it doesn't belong to you. You've been bought with a price. And you're to glorify God. And so we see in this passage of scripture that there's a process. First, the perspective. Second of all, the process. And it's not just one thing. It's to taking off the one to put on the other. I love in the book of 1 Thessalonians where he talks about how they turn from their idols. To serve a living and true God. They just didn't add God. They turned from the one. The repentance. Spurgeon said we should live in a light. The Christian life is one of continual repentance. We need to be looking and saying. That doesn't match. So before I put on this. I've got to take off that. And so the reason I take that off. Is it doesn't look like God. And the reason I put on this other aspect. Is because it does. And sometimes it isn't fun. 
Sometimes I'd rather have the gaudy stuff. The things that I look around and I'm thinking other Christians don't have a problem with that. Other pastors don't have a problem with that. The problem is, is God has not asked me to measure myself by them. But once again, running to the face of God. If, 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 if you haven't caught one thing about my message, it's simply this. We've got to keep running to the face of God. That is where we... When I'm in trouble, when I start feeling myself tie, pulling away... It's because I, and when I start thinking about it, I realize I have not. I may be in the Word. I may have got a great message for Sunday. But I have not spent time before the cross. How, how holy is God? He's so holy that he crucified his son and turned his back on him. That's how holy our God is. And he asks you and I. And has invited us to be holy by sanctification. Now he says, put on. Take off and put on. Notice what he said in that passage of scripture, though, that we're to take the, off the one once again, which is corrupt according to deceitful lusts. There's that passion. We are always going to fight this battle between what I want, my desires, my passions, until the new body that I'm going to be given someday. Until the resurrection, there's going to be a battle. I thought it would get easier when I got older. Just finding new battles. Just finding new things that this flesh is just, it's not just corrupt because I'm getting old. I mean, I'm, I'm fighting the same battles you guys are. The doctor wants to see me every three months. And he wants every time to put a new med, me on a new medication. Um, but you know what? That's not my biggest problems. My biggest problems is me, and I still struggle. Even when I try to appear, have you ever tried to appear holy, and really you're just being proud in your holiness? God is calling you and I to a process, and that process doesn't stop until you're dead. So if you are breathing, you're still in the process of putting off and putting on. There's another passage I'd like you to look at very quickly, and that's 1 Thessalonians 4. 1 Thessalonians 4. It's interesting. This happens to be a passage I'm going to be talking to our folks about Sunday. I don't know about you, but I have a dead service when I start dealing with the issue of immorality. You know, I'll have people coming forward on this issue and that issue. But if I'm going through the Ten Commandments and I'm preaching on thou shalt not commit adultery, I can guarantee you no one's coming forward during the invitation. Because then everyone's going to go, oh, wonder what they're doing. But the problem is, is can, I, can I suggest something to you? He tells them something here. This is a great group of people. They love God. They, he, he really doesn't say too much negative to them. They are, but they're a bunch of baby Christians. And here he talks about the fact that we are called to be unholy, uh, be holy, not unclean. And this is the issue of purity. Perspective, process, now purity. See, sanctification is not just being separated to God, but it's being separated from those lusts and those passions. And in this passage of scripture in verse number four, chapter four, verse seven, it says, For God hath not called us. Unto uncleanness, 
but unto holiness. Part of the battle that we will face until the day we die is this issue of our passions. I don't understand why God has put that on us, but it is something that's real. It's something that, especially in our council, we may not want to talk about, but I'm sorry, in your life, it's a very real issue. Not just men. Sorry, it's an issue of women as well. God has not called you to uncleanness. God did not call you to live your life for yourself in any of your passions, in any of your desires, in any of your wants. He did not call you to find self-fulfillment. He called you to holiness. In this passage of scripture here, the idea here of this sanctification is very specifically the idea that we are to be pure. Part of holiness is purity. Um, and, and, and you and I have to be pure to be usable for God. Do you remember the passage in Timothy, 2 Timothy, I think it is, where God talks about vessels of honor and dishonor? And uh, we, we have a creek, as you know, which flooded last year. It went from being able to be jumped over by some of you younger folks to being about 150 feet wide. But now, when it, when it, this, and this was the worst flood ever, but when, it, when we first were there, uh, moved move there several years ago, the creek would go up at a good rate and then go down. And my children would go out to the creek to see what treasures had found themselves onto the banks. Okay? Uh, I'm sorry, I live in Kentucky. I am really redneck. I'm taking, when it's up, I'm taking a 22 out and shooting things as it's going down the creek. But anyways, go down there and find all sorts of things. Every once in a while, they'd find a glass jar or a cup or something like that. In fact, at this flood, we found one that was from our church way down. Can I tell you something? My kids want, sometimes wanted to use those for drinking. I strongly dissuaded them from that. Why? Because they were filthy. They were dirty. They were unfit to be used. Have you ever gone to a restaurant? In the olden days, they, you, you came down, and the very first thing, what did the waitress do? Brought you a glass of water. And it was always a clear glass. You know what I'm talking about? A few times when they put it down, it was, had a great big lipstick mark around the top. Now, I'll tell you what I didn't do. I didn't say, oh, it's all right on the other side, and turn around and start drinking from the other side. Why? Because it's not clean. I would kindly say, listen, there's a problem here, and ask the waitress, because it's not her fault, usually. The whole point is this. If you and I would not eat or drink out of something filthy, why should we expect God to use something that has chosen to be dirty? Because that's really what it is, isn't it? He has sanctified me. He has called me to be holy. If I am not holy, it's not God's fault. It's my choosing. And so he calls us. And we're going to look at this in just a minute. One other verse. One other verse. Romans 6. Romans 6. And we have looked at the idea of our perspective, our process, the purity. But I just want to talk to you for a minute about the product. 
Romans 6, we love that verse at the end, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We use that to point people to Christ, and rightfully so. But can I suggest to you this passage is written to believers about what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? In verse 19, Paul says, I wanna, I'm giving you an illustration. He says, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when you were servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit that had ye then in those things whereof you're now ashamed? For the end thereof are, of those things is death. But now being made free from sin, you became servants of God. You have your fruit under holiness and the end everlasting life. We know that in that day, the idea of being servants was very popular, especially in the Rome. The city of Rome was filled with slaves. But just for instance, let's say that somebody sold a slave to somebody else. He now has a new master. He's been bought with a price. He belongs to him. His work is supposed to be for his new master. But let's say every once in a while, he spends the day with the old master just because he wants to. Now, the other guy's still paying and taking care of him. He bought him and everything else. But he goes to the old master every, and it gets a little bit more. He's sneaking off for a few more hours each day and a little bit more and a little bit more. Something wrong? Is the master going to deal with that? Most definitely. And so you and I have been bought with a price. We've been bought so that we're no longer the servants of sin, but we belong to not just unto holiness, but unto God. He's our master. Does it make any sense that he has bought me with a price, and that price was the precious blood of Christ, for me now to go and invest my time with my old master, who is a cruel paymaster for the wages of sin, is death. Can I tell you something? It's that those wages are still the same. I know many a Christian who got too wrapped up in their old master and their lives have been ruined. You know that and I do. Sadly, it's not just new Christians. It's not just the other guy. It's not just people in another denomination. It's us. It's our friends. It's our pastor friends that fall into sin. And everybody here has somebody that you remember. Recently, I talked with a felon, knew something was wrong. Oh, I'm okay. I'm okay. And just a few months later, it was revealed. My heart broke. When he said, I'm okay, I knew immediately by how he said, I'm okay, you, you know what I mean. He wasn't. Friends, God is calling you and I. Our churches need to be holy, but our churches will never be holy until its pastors are holy. Its leadership is holy. Um, the, the deacons, the elders, whoever it is that's involved in your leadership. Uh, when I first came to the church that I'm at now, I look back and I wonder if a good number of our leadership wasn't even saved. 
Um, fortunately, that's changed over the years. But I look back over the choices and decisions that were made back then. Friend, God's called us to be holiness. One more passage, and we're going to be done. I want you to go to the book of Haggai. Haggai, with this we're going to close. You know, we started on out with that passage where he talks about the fact that we were sanctified. Have you, did you ever pay attention to 1 Corinthians? A lot of times we read over the first few verses. When we talk about bad churches in the Bible... We talk about the churches of Galatia. We talk about the church of Laodicea. And we talk about the church of Corinth. Is that not true? I mean, let's face it. Every time you turn around, he's going, now concerning, and he's got another problem. But what's amazing is if we miss out that very first part, he says, to all the saints, sanctified. And I go, what? Surely he must be mistaken. That group of Corinth at Corinth are not sanctified. They're not saints. What was God doing? He's saying, this is what you are now. I'm going to bring you to the process of all these things so that you can be living out what you are. In the book of Haggai, we see a similar situation. Haggai is a, is a, a book that's written literally over a matter of a few months. There's, I believe, five different uh, messages in this. He's encouraging the people to do the work of of God to build the temple, to build the place that they started 16 or 17 years earlier, and they had gotten around to being lazy and some discouragement. And, you know, every time they walked by the temple, they, should, they said something like, you know, we really should get back to that. <laughs> and the next year, we really, man, next year or so. And he finally says, you keep on saying it's not the right time. He says, but it's time for you to fix up your fancy houses. Well, they get on ball on the ball, and they actually obey him. And you'd think that he'd be happy. They're doing the work of God. But notice what it says as you come on down to uh, chapter 2, verse 4. I mean, uh, chapter 2, verse 10. It says, in the 4 and 20th month, that's about three months after the first message, uh, the ninth month of the second year of Darius came the word of the Lord unto Haggai, the prophet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priest concerning the law, saying, If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with his skirt touch, do touch bread, or pottage, or wine, or oil, or any meat, shall it be holy? The priest said, No. Then said Haggai, if one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and says, it shall be unclean. Let's just stop there for a second. He's asking a, a, a legal question of the religious leaders on what makes something holy. What made it holy? He says, here you are, you got something holy in your, in your cloth, you got it here, and you're walking along, and it bumps into something else. It's holy. When it bumps into that other thing, does it make whatever it bumps into holy? And they says, no. He says, okay. Now, let's say here's something that's been unholy because it's touched a, a carcass. It's something dead. He says, it touches something holy, does the holy thing become unholy? And they go, yeah, it becomes unholy. You can't use it for God's service. Now notice how he applies it here. 
Verse number 14, then answered Haggai and said, so is this people and so, so is this nation before me, saith the Lord. And so is every work of their hands. That which they offer there is unclean. Now let's talk about this and we'll be done. What's he saying? He's saying, here's a group of people. They're doing a holy work. I mean, the temple was going to be holy, right? It was going to be used for God. But the problem was, is they were unholy. And their unholy work, or their unholiness in the holy work, made everything contaminated. Made everything they did unholy. It was because of something that was touched, that was dead. And yet, many times we allow that which is unholy. We think, oh, if we can get those people in church and working, maybe they'll get saved. Have you ever had somebody say that? I have. Maybe, you know, just get them busy. Uh, used to be in our church, they'd say, let's make this person a trustee and maybe they'll be faithful. I says, no, we're not doing that here. Uh, we've changed some things. Why? Because this is how the world operates. And this is how the flesh operates. But God has said, you know what? When we allow the, 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 the things that are unholy to be a part of our work, we're wanting God to bless our homes and our churches, our work at, in the ministry, and yet we're doing it with unholy methods and unholy things. Guess what becomes unholy? The work we're doing. This spoke, speaks to my heart because I want to make sure that God continues to bless the ministry of Davidson Baptist, not because of me, but because our church is holy. Its people love him and are being changed into his glory from one glory to another. Friends, that doesn't happen just simply because we're obeying rules. That doesn't happen simply because uh, we're saying, well, we're better than the other people. But that happens because we are challenged. Men, ladies, your church members will never become more holy than you are. And you can't fake it for long. I'm sorry, but I've watched folks. And after a while, how that, pers that preacher lives is starting to be reflected in the people that the they minister to. So it is upon us to get to see the face of God. Get a perspective of seeing him. And then out of that being changed... We're called pastors. We're called leaders. Did you understand that the idea of leader means that they have to follow? Now that means that there has to be movement. Because if I stand up here and say, follow me, and I just stand here, no one can follow. They can stand behind me, but they can't do anything. The only way anyone can follow is if I start moving. And I'm here to tell you that as we're supposed to be examples of Jesus Christ. The only way they're going to follow and make movement is if we're making movement in holiness. We need to be more like him. Let me ask you something. When was the last time your holiness was challenged by the word of God and looking into the face of God so that you were changed into the glory of God? God has called us to be holy because he's holy. Would you pray with me?
Father, as we look into the word today, we are challenged. We recognize that this is not based on human effort. We cannot just by self-determination become holy. It was the Spirit of God who sanctified us at salvation, and it's that same Spirit that empowers us and changes us each and every day. For where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Where that Spirit is, is we, are, is we will be changed. Father, how we sometimes dread it, but how we desperately need it. God, make us more like you today than we were yesterday. And may your holiness be reflected in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.